I'm Asan, and this is the Friday show on the often imitated but never bettered 9320 podcast. It's been another busy week of narratives at Man City HQ, and joining me to unpick them all, I've got two of the big lads, Lloyd and George. Morning, Lloyd. Good morning. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Not complain. George, morning. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Asan. Yourself? Yeah, I mean, like I told you off air, I've I've run five kilometers, I've done a half an hour in the pool, I've done all my stretching, and it's not even ten o'clock in the morning, so I'm, uh, oh, I'm feeling productive. feeling pretty sprightly and pretty productive, which is uh, which is good considering it's uh, it's Friday. Um, I've spoken to Lloyd quite a quite a bit this week, George. I've not really spoken to you. How are you feeling in general about life at City? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good, you know. It's um it's a lot more change this this year than I thought there was going to be. Mm. And and it's been strange to have a transfer window that's dragged on which is looking like it's going to drag on right till the deadline when, you know, the last few years we've tended to get business done in those first couple of weeks. So that adjustment's um been interesting, but I've been I've been enjoying it so far. The first two games, two wins. You know, not conceded a goal yet, which is um, probably the more interesting thing out, out of uh, out of all the positives. And a couple of the new boys in already. Kovacic, Kvavidol looking great, and then one more possibly for the weekend as well. You've forgotten about Doku. He's in, mate. No, he's in. Yeah, so Doku's in, and yeah, so I mean, for the weekend, he he might be getting a performance by all accounts. He might be on the bench at least. <laughs> It'd be hilarious if Lilo threw him in in the uh, in in the first game. But I I could see something strange like that happening with if 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 uh, if he's in charge of the team. Just just the one little curveball that nobody's <laughs> thinking of. Harlan dropped on the bench and uh, and uh, and Do- Doku in from the start. Something crazy. Yeah, but, back to um, the false nine. That would yeah. be uh, that would be quite something. Lloyd, I think it's more likely Palmer starts because he he loves him. It's true. It's true. Uh, but look, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting we're getting into the Sheffield United preview, which is for later in the podcast. Mm. Um, I want to start by I want to do a quick look back to Newcastle or the long look back to Newcastle. Um, now that kind of a week or nearly a week has passed and dust has settled a little bit, um, thoughts on the performance and just how how telling or not telling it was. What can you take from it this early in the season? George, you go first. I'd say, I'd say there was a, a lot of things I really liked about it. I mean, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we all um, self-proclaimed members of the Phil Foden fan club, and so for him to, you know, have that role in the middle and run the show for the entire game was was absolutely magic. Everybody around me in the ground was just coming out. You could just hear them. All talk was on Foden, which which was great because it feels like we've not had one of those games in a little while, you know, due to a number of reasons, really. But having everybody that just that murmuring all about Foden as you're walking out the ground, it's it was great to see. So that part I absolutely loved. Um, Kovacic, I thought, was so strong, so sturdy, and he does look like he's played here for three, four years easily. And then the final point that, that really impressed me was I think Guavidol's um, set, settling in 
very quickly as well. There was a, that counter-attack Newcastle had um, in the second half and he helped mop that up, kind of a bit of one-on-one defending and then his comfort on the ball as well was, was great. Obviously, there was some... Not negatives, maybe the wrong word, some things to work on. One nil. I think Haaland had a load of chances that he's not going to miss all those chances in another game. I think that was just a bit of a fluke, really. Um, Because looking back, I've watched the game a couple of times since and he could have had a hat-trick easily on another day. But um, it just wasn't his day. Um, He did get the service. You know, Phil found him a lot of times. So there's nothing to worry about that there. That'll come and hopefully it'll come this weekend. Yeah, I go along with that. I think... I, I I feel with with Erling that he's at his best when he relaxes a little bit, and you, you feel like sometimes if he has a bad touch early in a game, it can get in his head a little bit. Um, and so, but you know, he's lucky because one, he's in an incredible team, and two, he's surrounded by incredible footballers who who will create chances for him. Um, Lloyd, a question on Phil. It's something that. Um, somebody else raised uh this week and it it gave me pause for 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 thought um and the point that they made was that you know we've kind of we've 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 said for a long time that phil should be in the team and guardiola's had this thing about how well you know he's not so good going back towards his own goal he's not that good defensively and you know he needs to improve on that um And the point that was made to me this week was actually what Newcastle showed is he doesn't really need to improve on that. He he needs a system that allows the team to get the best out of him because he's so talented and you're not getting the best out of him if he's five, ten yards outside his own penalty area building the play and progressing the play he needs to live in the danger zones so that the ball can be fed to him so that he can cause the chaos that he caused yeah i think that's i think that's right um you know ultimately phil's a different player to kev in that um whilst they kind of operate similar positions um de bruyne is more of a worldy pass through ball kind of carry the ball a little bit uh kind of guy whereas phil is more someone that that's going to dribble and travel with it and it will obviously slide somebody in but kev's kind of looking more for that you know when he gets into the yeah it's like the right half space isn't it just on the edge of the box and he's looking for that kind of curled ball into the back post where harland often finds himself these days foden's more trying to get on the ball a bit more centrally, break past someone and then just slide um, slide Haaland in with a little kind of touch pass. And there were, I think Haaland had about three of those actually watching the game back where, you know, he takes a touch. He's basically got a one-on-one with the defender kind of half covering and then it's down to him to hit the target. So yeah, I think the team need to find Phil in a slightly different way to, to Kev. I think Kev can pick the ball up deeper like you said, and kind of progress it, but then come up the pitch a bit more. I think Phil, someone we need to find a little higher up the pitch. Um, and yeah, I think it's also about Phil understanding the role and what he needs to do like off the ball. And for example, that's been a lot of the reason why Pep hasn't played him maybe as much as he should have in that position. And I think actually did a really good job of that 
at the weekend, which we haven't really spoken much about. Um, I thought he was very disciplined without it. And I do think Alvarez helped and helps in that regard because he's just so good without the ball. He's a bit like Jesus, isn't he? Um, he's just so intense with his pressing and knowing when to go. Um, so yeah, all in all, all very positive. And I think actually what did bamboozle Newcastle a bit, again, looking back at it, is it's funny, we've all talked about how Phil played centrally, but actually like on the team sheet, he had kind of probably been on one of the wings. Um, but yeah. he had that ability to move inside, which made it even harder for someone like Dan Byrne to know what to do with him, um, to kind of follow him into midfield or leave him and pass him on to somebody else. So all in all, um, I think it obviously really worked well in that game and it was against a very high-caliber opposition. So I think it does bode very well for these next four months whilst Kev's out. George, do you think with um, with Phil a little bit, because when he sort of first came into the team, we there was there was kind of a, a an immediate conversation around the idea that he was going to replace David Silva and because he was left footed and because he can play those slide rule passes we kind of got it in our heads that he's he's a David Silva regen but actually he's a really different player to Silva because Silva obviously was a lot older by the time that Pep comes in um but him and Kev played those two number 8 positions really well from almost from the beginning when 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 Pep came in and there was never a conversation around well can David Silva do the defensive side of the game is he tactically aware enough whereas with Phil that's always been a conversation and I I, I guess that what I'm what I'm putting on the table is that that was unfair from the beginning because they're very different players for sure I think I th- when you've got um a brilliant young player at a club who's coming through and obviously it's being looked after by like the old heads like David Silva. Obviously, Phil speaks about how he was a big inspiration for him. I think we often try and like pigeonhole them into one of those categories, like, is he a Silva? Is he a is he a De Bruyne? Is he a is he a Yaya? And you try and you want that that reiteration of the of the same player. Whereas you say he's over time, especially the last few years, he he's very different. I mean I think he's one of the strongest players with the ball at his feet dribbling driving up the pitch whereas Silva would if he ha- if he looked up at the pitch he would always want to pass it rather yep. than dribble and progress it himself so Foden does like to hold on to the ball probably longer and he's and his dribbling ability is probably stronger than the likes of those midfielders whereas maybe his eye for the inch perfect pass isn't the same as theirs. He's still a great passer of the ball, but his strength probably is more the dribbling, shooting, and then just progressing the ball up the pitch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think you know the 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 beginning of this conversation for me was very much the idea of thinking about Guardiola's kind of minor criticisms of Phil, and then looking at the way he was used against Newcastle and and having that conversation this week around the idea of, well, he is an attacking player. And in many respects, maybe he's not a number eight. He really is a number 10. He's, he's a guy who almost has to have the same sort of freedom that a 10 or an attacking winger has in the sense that he needs to live 
in in the pocket in between the opposition's defense and their midfield he shouldn't come deeper than the opposition midfield because then you're blunting really what he's good at um lloyd i listened to something this week which was really interesting i'm i'm a sadist um you know ken early's he he writes oh, yeah. um so ken early's did irish a geezer. yeah ken early's um irish football writer um very very well regarded um and he did a podcast on a rival team's podcast um which was about city and it was about the the they they described it as the bloodlessness of city's football um and it was quite a i mean if you can if you're not triggered by stuff like that which thankfully i'm not anymore it was quite an interesting conversation because basically what they were saying is that like this this guardiola team now is the least guardiola team that he's ever had and in many respects it's boring like it's just a load of really big lads who defend really well and a couple of really big lads who can score in the penalty area and then a lot of not very much happening and the kind of the 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 idea the the point of the and this is a whole podcast by the way the point of the whole podcast was that Guardiola's got to a point where he doesn't want anything to happen in games of football that literally what he wants is for nothing to happen but for us to have the ball to eventually score a goal and then just shut up shop and they sort of used the Newcastle game as an example of of that now look I don't agree with that I don't agree with the assessment I don't agree with the view of the type of football I I yeah like a, if you look at the chances that we created against Newcastle for example it's not a 1-0 game do you know what I mean it's a 3-0 game so I don't necessarily agree with the point that they were making immediately but as a kind of wider existential point um is this the least entertaining pep team of the uh uh of the pep era at City no. Um, False nine. I think what's yeah. I think what's funny about that is that there were a lot of complaints during the two like false nine seasons that City were boring and we didn't score any goals and all we did was keep the ball and it was six players who were all the same in the front six positions and you know there was no cut and thrust and there was no pace. And we didn't have that ruthlessness. Well, but now we're efficient and we can defend. Now that's boring. How the fuck does that work? That doesn't make any sense. I think this is more exciting. Um, I think I agree with them that this is the kind of least Guardiola team. That's definitely true. The move to to put the kind of centre backs at fullback is is part of that. I think the move to play slightly more. Defensive players in the in the wing areas, although we've just signed Doku, so that's one to watch. Is a bit of a nod to that, and Haaland is a very unpep like striker. Um, if you look at kind of guys that have played up front for Pep, I know he had Lewandowski, but he was more of a link man than, than yeah, Haaland very days. different players. So I think that's a valid point, but the idea that that we just score one goal and kill games, I, I mean. I'm sorry, we got criticised last season for battering teams and that being boring. So 
Look, basically, we're boring because we're really good and other fans don't like that. And whether we win 1-0 or whether we win 4-2, it's boring and it's inevitable and they don't want to watch it. That's fine. I, they don't have to watch it. Yeah, totally. And I think I think one of the things that, that I, I, I've found in the last few years is that the external... I'll throw this over to you, George. That I, Have you got any mates who support other teams who, when they talk about City, they talk about City as if City are flawless. Like, the general view when I talk to opposition fans is, I don't really want to talk about City because you're boring, because it's too slick, it's too good, it's too easy. And I've always felt from the inside that we are, we're really, we've always been really flawed in the way that we've built squads and we've always used Pep as the kind of to bridge the gap between the flawed squad and the success. Guardiola's the guy that stands in the middle and goes, well, I can take a team without a left back, right? And then turn him into a team that can get 100 points, stuff like that. Um, so do you, do you have, do you have friends or do you, what's your exter- the external view that you hear of City? What is it? Yeah, my friends who support other teams, the last few years, at the start of the season, it's always kind of, um, oh right, uh, well you're you're getting top four and you're probably going to win anyway, so um, who else do you think is going to get top four? And they kind of just dismiss City as, and they don't even enter in, them into the conversation with other teams in, in, in a certain degree. And like you say, a few people tend to go, oh well yeah, I, I, I'm not going to watch the City game at the weekend because you're just going to batter them 5-0 anyway and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well... It's not always the case, you know, a lot of the games last season, people expect us to, you know, Fulham at home, one of the toughest games we had all year, Cancelo sent off, had to drag it 2-1, really exciting game, uh, but, you know, it'll never get the plaudits because it was it was City and I think people like to, like to make us sound boring and like to not make us sound competitive because then it makes them feel about, better about their own team, they can just dismiss us and think, oh, well, they're in a completely different league, so I shouldn't have to compare my mm. my team that's scraping pennies together and hasn't got good players like Liverpool and United fans when they plead poverty all the time. So it, it's, it has been quite a funny one the last few years, but it's always... My, my favourite time to speak about it is probably the mid-season when we're in a little slump and then suddenly <laughs> it's like, oh, God... City, I don't know. I think this is Pep done. This is Pep done. He's um, he's finally crumbled, and that's my favourite moment because then I can always get a bit smug about three months later in May and go, well, how how did that turn out for you? Definitely, I think I think the long the long view uh, from the outside seems to be that City will collapse when Guardiola goes. Um, one of the one of the 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 things that Ken Earlies was saying uh, was that. Uh, City don't have an identity that they're that they're a kind of a blank canvas post the Abu Dhabi takeover, and that what's United's what, identity? Then? I mean, we'll we'll get there, we'll get there. But uh, he was saying that um, that City don't have an identity, and that a lot of what they are, or most of what they are, is propped up by Guardiola, um, and when he leaves, uh, that lack of an identity will make it difficult for City from all angles. It'll make it difficult for City to recruit. It'll make it difficult for City to continue to be successful. Just a general kind of doomsday scenario when uh, when Pep leaves, which, to be honest, I mean, it's been a pretty constant theme since Pep came in. 
you know as soon as uh, since the 100 point season it's been ah yeah but wait till he goes so i uh i i, I don't well they're think... all waiting aren't they they've been yeah. waiting for a while so they can wait a bit longer <laughs> it's it's funny it's funny as well because when people say oh after pep goes you, you know you're done for you'll be you'll slide back down the table it's it's like obviously i don't think we'll be as good as we are now but if you look at Bayern post pep they won a treble if you look at Barcelona post Pep, they won a treble as well. Obviously, Barcelona have had their own issues financially and just being run appallingly. But um, there is life after Pep, and it was going to be tough. Whenever that day comes, it's going to be tough and it's going to be horrible, and it, there will be a massive adjustment period. But I have no doubt that the people running the show at City have already got the succession plan in place with numerous people, and it will be weird. But I can't see us suddenly being uncompetitive and in terms of our identity well obviously Pep is a big part of our our identity because he's managed City longer than he's managed Barcelona and Bayern put together and so Guardiola the manager is weaved into City's DNA now just as much as he is Barca and I think that's something to be proud of really he's one of the he'll go down history as one of if not the greatest managers in football and having him as one of our building blocks of our DNA in mod- in our modern age, I think is, is something to be proud of. Absolutely. And I think the, the interesting thing for me is that th- there seems to be a, um, a lack of acknowledgement of the footballing side of what all of this means that, you know, th- that idea that like, well, City are a blank canvas and they're as soon as Guardiola goes, they'll sort of be broken. It's like, well, no, because actually, unlike Bayern and Barca, where there was so much politics at play that when Guardiola went, there was a sense of wiping away what Guardiola had done. At City, it'll be the opposite of that. They'll build statues for him and they'll only hire managers who will continue in the mould that Guardiola has basically shaped the club into. And that sort of... The, the, I guess that the, the, the wider point from the outside, obviously, is City don't have history and they don't have heritage and they don't have legacy, right? And that Guardiola isn't that, that he's just a fella that's come from Barcelona because his mates are here. And when he goes again, City will go back to being history-less and heritage-less and, and legacy-less. And I think that that really misses the point of sort of employing Pep and keeping him for so long, and not just that, but shaping a club with a footballing identity that is important from the under-10s upwards, having the academy built in the way that it is, having the players coming through with the talent that you have. It's much why the, 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 the legacy and the history and the identity will be as will be built as much on on the actual physical football that gets played as it is on the trophies themselves and that isn't really the case at Liverpool or at United maybe at Arsenal with Wenger a little bit there was that and Arteta has a little bit picked that bat on up but there was plenty of years in the middle where that really wasn't the case as well Lloyd do you want to say anything else on that before I move on happy to move on um Kovacic, I want to I want to talk specifically about him, his adaptation at City, and just how good you think he's been, Lloyd. One of the quickest to adapt, I think, that we've signed under Pep 
I would put him alongside Ruben Diaz and Akanji probably is the two quickest really to to just get what we need from him, show he's very much at the level in contrast to someone like Phillips, um, but also show very quickly that he's got characteristics that we've not necessarily had and we didn't didn't really have in Gundogan and it, he's going to give us different things and we'll be able to play in a slightly different way because of it. So I think he's been brilliant. Um, it's It's not been a massive surprise though, to be honest. I mean, you know, speaking to, like you spoke to Dan a couple of times over the summer about Chelsea fan about him coming and Dan was like pretty unequivocal that he thinks once Guardiola got his hands on him, he could turn him into a better football than they'd even seen at Chelsea. Um, but that he had, you know, all of the kind of key things that would mean he'd be a success. I guess from having watched him um, at Chelsea, which I'd done quite a bit, I guess I'd I didn't realise just how press resistant he is. He's a, he's actually a bit of a freak in that regard. He there was a couple of moments in that Newcastle game again. If you watch it back, where it just looks like he's going to lose the ball like two or three times. Gordon steps up, Tenali's on him, and he just like appears with the ball almost like it's a little bit of a cartoon. Um, and the you know if, the way that teams defend now and how well structured they are. If you've got someone in the middle of the pitch that can beat two, three players, well, then that means you might have Doku stood out on the right wing <laughs> on his own, get the ball to him, and then it could be, you know, it could be carnage, couldn't it? Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited by Kovacic. Looking forward to seeing him, you know, just continue to play a bit more, possibly play in Rodri's position as well. Um, I think there's probably been a bit of an eye on that. Um, but I, you know, there's I can't not say good things because um, in all of his games, I think he's really shown um, elements of quality. George, <clears throat> obviously it's very early days, but just very quickly, how do you compare him to Gundo? Like Lloyd just mentioned, the fact that that they're slightly different players. But if you look at the impact that he has on games, how does he affect games in comparison to Gundo? I think his similarity to Gundo is obviously he's I think he's comfortable on and off the ball. He doesn't really mind which phase of play he's in. I would say going forward, he obviously so far well he's not been asked to either, so we can't really have a true reflection, but we've not seen him how he is arriving into the box, uh getting shots off, um assists, all that kind of stuff that Gundo would produce. Um He's not done any of that yet, but he's also not been asked to do that. So I'm not going to say that he, he can't do it. Um, and I think one of the big similarities for this season will be he will, I think once we, well, it's looking like we're going to sign another centre midfielder. I think once we do, um, Kovacic will be playing um, a lot of games in the six and Rodri will finally be getting a rest for some games. And Gundo was able to do that. I think... People often forget, you know, that the six-three derby um, at home last season. Gundo was playing in the six for that. Rodri, Rodri was on the bench um, with a with a, I think illness at that game, and I think Kovacic will be depended on in maybe a big game if Rodri's injured or ill or whatever in in that role. I think we'll see some of that. Um, Definitely. And a, another thing that I like is, like Lloyd was going on about, then it's um, it's he doesn't give the ball away, and Gundo 
rarely gave the ball away. So having that quality instantly replaced after Gundo leaving is, is a big thing, especially in, in a pet midfield. Yeah, completely. I think his pedigree spoke for itself um, coming from Chelsea and from the moment that he was linked, I I remember saying, just get him. Even if you're going to sign other players, just get him because he's got that pedigree and you're losing you're losing a little bit the experience of of Gundo. So bringing in an, another player with that level exper- of experience is just never a bad thing, particularly a, a guy with that much quality. So yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, right. So you mentioned him playing in the six. Lloyd, we're going to talk transfers now. Uh, firstly, on firstly, let's let's do Doku first because he's in. Um, happy? Yeah, very happy. Surprised that we uh, surprised that we signed a a pacey winger after after the smart people spent six months telling us that Pep's done with pacey wingers. <laughs> um. No, not really. Um, I've never subscribed to the idea that like we can just n- n- never sign someone who's got those like different characteristics to what we've got. Um, again, there's that interview that Pep does where he literally talks about wingers and what characteristics are important. Um, so I think you can read into that what you will, but equally... Um, I think the one thing that stood out, like when you're reading about Doku prior to him coming, and I mentioned this on the transfer market pod that we did, is that um, for someone who dribbles so much and is obviously so explosive, and that's something we don't have, he keeps the ball a, a lot, lot more than than most kind of dribblers, so to speak. So like his his take on success was like sixty percent last year in Liga, which is really, really high. Um, like Adama Traore's is 22%, for example, in the Premier League. Um, so just because he's got those characteristics, you know, doesn't mean that he might not be able to do the job that Pep wants. He'll just do it in a slightly different way. Um, but I think to have someone with those characteristics is obviously super exciting. And I think, again, said this on the transfer pod, but he's obviously someone that likes to receive the ball to feet and then go, which is great because that's what most of our wingers have got. But it also now gives us the opportunity for us to go in behind. And again, there were examples in that Burnley game where we had the ball over the top to Haaland. Well, if we've also got the ball over to the top to Doku as well, that's a really, really great um, uh, opportunity for us and a different way for us to stretch teams and, you know, it'll ask different questions if teams push all the way up. Well, then we can do that. Um, so very excited. Um, keen to see kind of how quickly he's integrated. Um, spoke to someone who is, you know, very well connected at, to City earlier this week. And they said the coaching staff are viewing him as like, they're calling it Leroy 2.0 um, in terms of like his adaptation. So, for me, that you know, that's exciting because, as we discussed on Wednesday, Leroy by about six months in, really kind of hit the ground running. So, if we can get like Doki being slightly quicker, and I expect we could because we don't have as many options as we did when Leroy was in the squad back in yeah. sixteen seventeen, then I think we'll be we'll be in a really good position. George, a word on Doku? Fun. That's what he's going to be. Stop. Just. just- all out fun. He's um, 
I'm, I'm really excited for this transfer. Just thought of the kind of, there's a slight unknown there, but obviously yeah. so much promise and potential. And his, his main traits are stuff that we're kind of lacking out wide at the moment and have been for a couple of years now. And his stats about take-ons and successful take-ons are just ridiculous. You know, compared to all the players in Europe, he's just, he's just on another level with that. So it's going to be really interesting. To, to see if he can translate that into the Premier League. And I think he's gonna he's gonna have De Bruyne. Obviously De Bruyne's got the injury, but if De Bruyne's around, you know, the, the training ground, he's got that person to lean on as well. Somebody he spent a lot of time with in the Belgian camp, which will ho- hopefully help him adapt. And I think at the start we're gonna see him as kind of you know more more of the super sub role whilst he's getting integrated. Get, seeing him in flashes at the end of games or maybe when when we really need to break somebody down but I'm just really excited to see how he gets on I think somebody with that that those traits always get people off their feet running at people both feet direct it's going to be really fun definitely I think the other thing talking to friends in Belgium is that he's a really good lad that you know he he's um his upbringing, his background, he's got the right mentality to come into City, um, which I think is super important. Uh, and again, like because I think with young players, it can go one way or the other. I think with Leroy a little bit, the challenges that the coaching staff found was that, you know, he was, he was young, but he was like full of confidence and maybe confidence in a way that you probably you, you need a young talented player to have confidence but you don't want them for that confidence to become an attitude if they don't like what you're saying to them and and I'm I'm hopeful that Doku falls to the other side of that fence and that's not a, a slight on Leroy because look we're talking about 18 19 year old kids here and if you're 18 19 and you move to Man City then you you feel like you're you're something already um I completely understand that so He's, by all accounts, he's uh, he's got the right the right humble attitude as well, and and that should uh, that should hold him in uh, in really good stead, right? So that only leaves, uh, I guess, one piece of transfer business left. Lloyd, as a Cole or... Palmer, does he stay or does he go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think I think Palmer's going to end up staying now. That's my feeling. Um, and it's 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 for no it's just, it's a guess. I haven't really got any rational reason why. I just feel as though the stories of clubs that were interested seem to have died down. Um, I read the Dortmund story, and if you dig into it, they seem to say Dortmund really like him, but City's fee is a real heavy fee. So obviously, City are going well. If you want to buy him, he's going to cost you forty million pound plus. So I think he ends up staying. I kind of hope he ends up staying and because I think he'll play. And as we'll come on to, I'm not that enamoured by the the Nunes signing, but I think obviously if someone like Eze came in instead, I I, I do think that's more likely to have an impact on uh, Palmer's minutes for for obvious reasons. So why don't we do the Nunes-Eze stuff? Yes, so... You've you've obviously touched upon it. You would prefer Eze to to Nunes. Um, obviously, you you feel that Nunes is the more likely, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's the guy they're going to exhaust all options for, and then they might pivot after that. Mm. 
Are you surprised at the fee being at the level that it's at? The negotiation's a bit weird, to be honest, because I think Wolves bought him for 45 million euros. It was 38 million pounds or 37 and a half million pounds plus five more in add-ons, but they were um, connected to qualifying for Europe, which they obviously didn't do. Yeah, and then I think Sporting have a sell-on cause as well, don't they? Yeah, 10%. Exactly. So I think for City to go, 47 was our opening bid with add-ons. That just seems too low. Like They're just not going to sell for that at this stage in the window. Kind of seems like that's just... I'm loath to say like a forty-seven million pound bid is ridiculous, but because it just sounds that also sounds ridiculous, but it just seems too low to even kind of advance the negotiations. Why would they sell for a fee that's almost the same when you factor in the sell-on clause to what they bought him for a year ago, when the market has gone absolutely insane for midfielders? That it's a week left to the end of the window. And they're in the shit anyway, but most Wolves fans think they're probably going to go down. That just doesn't make sense to me. So, Do you think it's a reflection of how much they rate him in a way? Because that's kind of the... And this is a little bit connected to what he is as a footballer, right? So uh, for me, he is uh, he would be a fantastic cog in this team but he would be a cog in the team he is uh incredibly press resistant he can progress the ball really well but his progressive dribbles are excellent but his passing is a bit pants right so he's a guy who actually in a fully functioning city team and he can play as a six right so in a fully functioning city team I think that he's a guy who will never quite be in the best 11, but might be sub number one or sub number two in midfield, right? And will play a lot of games and a lot of minutes, and he'll never really shine or stand out or anything like that, but he'll be a great body and a great functional player to have because he's also a bit versatile. You can play him as a six, you can play him as an eight, you can at a push play him a bit closer to uh, to the strikers. But at the same time, if you compare him to Pakatar, Pakatar came with much more of a passing final ball, eye for a pass pedigree, a final third pedigree that absolutely Nunes ain't got, right? So Nunes for me, all his best work is in your own half, progressing it into the opposition half. And that's that's about his ceiling. So do you think the fee reflects that? Yeah, I think it does. Eze's obviously like to use Eze as an example. He's a more he's more of a final third player, isn't he? Which is probably partly why he's more expensive. Mm. But I'll be honest, your description of like Nunes there that doesn't really excite me. I don't I don't love the idea of signing someone who's probably going to be a bench player, someone who is going to be trusty, but they're not going to light the world up. Like City have done such good transfers recently by signing people who genuinely challenged the first team and by all accounts I've spoken to like a mate who's a Wolves fan and I know you have you did the interview with the chap yesterday on the on Damn. 9320 player by all accounts his attitude isn't the best and he can be a bit of a mard and so signing someone who's definitely not going to be in your first 11 and is going to have to sit on the bench a lot 
but doesn't like not playing. That sounds like a problem to me, big problem. Um, and I, I don't have a super strong opinion on him as a footballer because whilst I've obviously seen him, I've never I feel like I've never he's never stood out to me that much, or I've never like watched a game of Wolves trying to watch him. Um, whereas that you know I have with someone like Eze, I feel like I understand Pakatar better. So I'm a. I'm a bit. I'm. A, I'm struggling a little bit to to really downplay it, but I think that what I have done is I've gone away and kind of looked at what he does, what he brings, and yeah, it appears to me he's more of a kind of dribbler and a progressor than a passer and someone who's going to pick the lock. I mean, I think we need. I think we need the more kind of pure number eight type for this kind of signing. I, I was more excited about someone like Pakatar or like Eze because I think we're missing that Gundo final third element that, you know, Kovacic won't give us, but Kovacic gives us the progressing, the dribbling, like the stuff that we've just spoken about with Nunes. So I think my thought is if we're going to go for Nunes as the guy, which appears to be the case, he almost seems like a Phillips replacement to me. Um, Someone that's going to take those minutes and that we probably think about the... No, more number eight, ten stuff for next season when you know maybe someone like Bernardo goes. Yeah. So I think I think Eze's got a year left on his deal next summer, right? So you, he you does. Eze, Eze's leaving Palace next summer. Yeah. Um, it's just that you know there'll be a, a, a one year to go. Yeah, every big club in the Prem is going to be interested, and I would hope City would be at that table. I just for me when you know Wolves are saying we want seventy million, well. I'd just way rather sign Eberichia as I just think he's a much better player from what I've seen. But look, happy to be proven wrong. And I do I do understand that, for example, apparently his stats were brilliant, right, when he was at Sporting playing in Portugal. But now they're not good, but he does play for Wolves. So Yeah, but also the 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 Portuguese league is a lot easier than than the Premier League. I, I think my the the I guess for me, like I, I everybody everybody knows that like I'm I'm a big Eze fanboy and have been for a long time. So for me, of course, I'm going to want Eze over Nunes. I can absolutely see the 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 strong merits and the strong positives, and I can I can see a scenario where he, Nunes comes in and he plays a big Champions League game, and afterwards everybody goes, "Wow, you know what? We were wrong to to, yeah. to doubt his." quality but at the same time the the other side of that coin and the one actually weird little worry that i started thinking about this morning was you know what generally when you when you play against teams and there's a player in that team who everybody says is better than the team they stand out so we've played palace and and i've looked at essay and gone yeah he's He's really good. Yeah. There's other teams where you play and the player has one the exactly. last season. Exactly. Like there's players who you just go, yeah, he's a baller, right? My worry is I've never watched Nunes other than against United last week, right? And and the truth is that everything he did in that game was just big transition dribbling. There was not a single like the final ball just wasn't there. Really just wasn't there. So yeah. For me, my big worry would be that against us, he he was anonymous, and that's not necessarily a great sign. Um, George, what do you think? It's an interesting one. The, obviously, the two the two um, 
stories of the week, Isaiah and Nunes, because there's two players that some people may see similar, but they, they do kind of two different jobs, don't they? Eze is that cover for the attacking midfielder, but also can play out wide if needed. He could easily, if Grealish was injured on the left, Eze could easily, I think, slot into that role and do what is required from Aguario, the winger on the left-hand side. And But he hopefully would be primarily used as an, in an attacking sense through the middle of the park. Whereas Nunes plays a bit deeper, fills in for the six, doesn't really, won't play out wide ever or anything like that. And as Lloyd said, if I, if we are going for Nunes, for me, that's the writing on the wall for Phillips. It is, there's just no way you can bring Nunes in who will be playing deeper whilst you've signed Kovacic, who plays a bit deeper as well, and then expect um, Phillips to get any minutes. I do think that Nunes would be a good signing though. Um He's not the he's he's not the sexy signing. He's not he's not the one that's going to get every every city fan you know jumping with adulation when if we get it across the line. But he's got a few qualities that I really do like. As you've mentioned, Daysan, the dribbling is is you know second to none. He's he's quality with the ball at his feet, and also as we've seen with Alvarez always being in the squads when De Bruyne is not playing. Pep loves a long-range shooter in his side these days, and Nunes has an absolute rocket of a shot, and it has that ability to, if a team's low block, low block, completely sat back, we've run out of ideas a bit. He could just unleash one with, you know, he's got great power and accuracy with the long shots, so that's a quality I do like. And the passing thing, I think, obviously, is a, is a little bit of a worry when we are a possession-based side, but I think. If he was willing to, and maybe, I don't know if he will be with his attitude, if he's willing to really buckle down and give himself over to the pet process, I think that passing can be improved. Because I think his short passing's pretty good. It's just that final ball, through ball stuff, as you said, that needs improving. And I think being around that City squad um, will really help because I feel last season that squad at Wolves was so volatile with the manager like threatening to go every single week. I think it was really hard for them to get in a groove mm. and I think we have to we have to remember that because at Sporting you know when he's playing there obviously it's a different league but Pep was singing his praises saying he's one of the best young players in the world and on all these kind of things and he doesn't publicly say that about a lot of people when they're not at his club Pep so I think I think that's a good sign and I think there's a, f- a few things from last year that we'll have to just kind of um give him a pass on because of because of how tumultuous that, that season was for Wolves. Absolutely. And I think the the other thing, um I, I disappeared down a little bit of a Wolves rabbit hole yesterday. Um and it sounds like Fossen there's a lot of rumors from sort of people on message boards and stuff that they consider to be like close to the club or know people at the club. There's a lot of talk that like um, the, the, one of the owners flew in last Friday that all uh, invoices over 10 grand need to be signed off by him now because they're in the process of selling the club. Uh, it feels very much like the end of Thaksin's days where you've got a foreign ownership situation. The financial situation is really opaque. You don't really know what's going on. All your players are being sold. The bills aren't really being paid properly. There's a lot of panic around the supporters about what's going to happen next. So, yeah, it's uh, 
it's a very uncertain place. But the interesting thing is, on the flip side, they do still have, like, I was like, they've sold players, but then they've still got Nunes, they've still got Cunha, they've still got Pedro Neto, they've still got Nelson Semedo. There's a bunch of, they've still got the, uh, the, young, uh, the young striker whose name... Uh, the young Portuguese striker whose name escapes me. They've Fabio still got, Silva. That's it. They've got a bunch of Mendes players who uh, who will who will have retained some serious value. So it's not. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting one. And and from City's point of view with Nunes, I just think I I do feel yesterday I was like they're they're bullying Wolves with that offer because they know that Wolves have got money problems. But actually, upon reflection, no, I just think that they value Nunes like that, that they've looked at what he's good at and what he's not good at, and they've gone, you know what, without a final ball, he's not a fellow that we're gonna start paying eighty million pounds for. He's you know, he, he is really Calvin Phillips level because we paid 45 for Phillips and we mm-hmm. bid 47 for Nunes. And by the sounds of things, we're not prepared to... The, the word is they immediately said, we won't talk unless you start at 65. And City have gone, there's no way we'll start at 65. So let's see if Wolves come down. Personally, I think if Wolves are in the in the situation that they're in in terms of needing to sell and also an ownership that just wants out, I can see them compromising over the weekend. But I've seen situations where I thought there'd be compromises and then City end up walking away. So so yeah, so let's see. Lloyd, last question on the uh, on the transfer window before I uh for our pass over to Howard who's talking to Hal. Um Looking at the window as a whole, if we get one of those two, so Eze or Nunes o- over the line, with everything that we've got al- already, how happy would you be with a window that's felt really uncertain and really rubbish all summer? Look, I'd still, even if we get, even if we get one tomorrow, uh, sorry, before the end of the window, and say even if it's Eze, who I really want, it's still been a very chaotic and poorly planned window, even if it ends up turning out to be good. That's the not the that question. That's not the question. Fine. I'm not. Well, I'm not asking that, you to analyze how they've handled the summer from a squad point of view. No. Okay. Re- fine. Sorry. Go on. You're right. I think it's. I think it's relevant because I think City wouldn't. So say if say if we get Eze or Nunes, and obviously we've just got Doku. I think there's it. I think it's very unlikely that City would have said, okay, we want these guys as like first choices. I actually went back and read the pieces from um, just before the Champions League final about who we wanted. And it was Bellingham, Chilwell, uh, Rafa, Rafa Leal, and I've forgotten the fourth one. Um, but basically, n- none of the people that we've ended up with. So... Yeah, I'll feel I'll feel good, and I think the, as long as we get a central midfielder, the squad just feels bigger. And my biggest problem and the drum that I've been beating all summer is that it's just been way too small. Now I think if we get a centre mid, then those two extra numbers in Doku and whoever that is definitely prepares us much better for the season. But do I think like the squad's in a better place than it was last season? Well, I think that's really hard to answer because. In the short term, probably not, but definitely in the long term it does because we've replaced a lot of older guys with a lot of really young guys with a lot of talent. But like for this season, are we stronger in certain positions? I think it's a genuine debate, to be fair. Um, 
So that's why I don't think it's a very simple, it's not a simple question to answer. Has it been a good window or has it been a bad window? There's far too much that, that plays into it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I would go along with that. I think it has been complicated and I don't think they've handled it super well. But personally, I'd be really happy if the window closes and we've got those four players through the door. George, what about you? I'd be pretty content, um, to be honest, if we if we get Eze or Nunes alongside Guavidol, Doku and, and Kovacic. Um if we have those players in, I'll I'll be I'll be happy with the club's business, um, to be honest. I think the Bellingham saga at the start of the summer's obviously as it dictated how it's gone f- for us, I think, um, and a few other clubs as well, because it's become quite clear he's chose Real Madrid very early on, but his camp obviously didn't leak that and so I think us, Liverpool, few other teams thought we had the chance and everybody has shown they had the cash for Bellingham. You know, Liverpool have shown that with the Caicedo bid. We've seen that with the with our Rice bid and all and all our other transfers and obviously Chelsea have spent big money as well. So and as soon as we didn't get him, I think he was going to be a focal point for us in the in the team. So as soon as we didn't get him, it was like right, they had to readjust and then I think we've just been a bit slow to readjust the entire summer playing catch up. Um, and obviously there was this back and forth with the Guavadol fees with Leipzig for a while. That looked like he could have even been off at one point. Um, so I understand how some fans will be feeling the chaos and, and not sure if we are stronger than we were last season. But I think Gundomar is obviously going massive and they'll be hard to replace that quality in their output. But I feel like the squad is at the same quality on the basis that I feel that some players that have stayed obviously have improved and will be better this year. I think Haaland will be better. I think Stones will be better. I think Diaz will. I think Guavadol's going to only take a couple of games, then he'll look like he's always been here. Kovacic already does. And I think Doku's a great weapon that we've not had in a while. So I think we are just as strong after the window and I think there's an upside of a few of these signings that if we do get it right, we will be. We won't necessarily be better than last year, but we'll be different than last year. Mm, absolutely. Um, I've just read the Athletics Wolves correspondent uh, is saying that Wolves hold an interest in Tommy Doyle and that his his transfer could come into the conversation of the Nunes transfer, which is very interesting. Um, right now, I'm going to pass over to Mr. Howard Hawking, who's talking to Blades fan Hal about their, the start to their season and how they feel about the game this weekend. So this is Howard chatting to Hal. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Hal from the Sheffield United Way podcast. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? I am very well. Better for speaking with you, Howard. Thanks for having me on. Well, there's no need for sarcasm at this early point. So, <laughs> uh, all the way from Cyprus, is it? I'm going to assume it's quite warm there today as always. Yeah, I apologise if the only background noise you can hear is my fan. Uh, normally I'd have the aircon on, but that's even louder. So you've got to make do with my biggest fan, which is the one just above my head. No, absolutely fine. So how warm is it then? Just to... uh, Today's 36. <laughs> ah, dream of temperatures like that. So I haven't seen used... rain for four months. Really? Well, mm. I can send some of you away if you want, so absolutely <laughs> sick of it. To yeah. be honest, uh, I'll go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Turkey soon. I, if it goes a week without rain, I do miss it. So, Well, of four course, months. the temperature's very, very similar in Turkey to what, you, yeah. to what I experience here, yeah. Four, four months is far too much, so 
Anyway, should we talk Sheffield United? If we have to. <sighs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure you want to. How does it feel then to be back in the Premier League anyway? I hate the Premier League. I've always detested it since the kind of changes. I, I hate VAR. It's it's totally ruined my love of football. The mm. that moment of joy where you celebrate a goal, even against Man City, 2019-20, Lise Mousse scoring uh, at City, and I don't think I've ever cheered for joy so much. I, I was almost crying. I was like, we've actually scored against Man City, only for it to then, after ages, be ruled out. And even when I saw what it was ruled out for hours later, I was like, no, nah, I'm still not having that. So that's that's ruined it for me. Um, football has changed uh, and not in a way that I like. And in the championship, we don't have that. Also, we're good in the championship and we win more than we lose. So if you could get promotion without having to actually play the games in the Premier League, I'd take that. So if there was no VAR, would you like the Premier League or is it just yeah, the championship's think, more fun, more I competitive? I think a lot of things I hate it. about the Premier League are not just VAR, you know, the the, the cheating, the diving, the, the bias. The money, the, let's yeah, be honest. you need the money to compete. It's not really about anything else anymore. It's who your owner is. And that hmm. isn't the football I grew up with. Uh, and actually, it's one of the reasons why I've been really getting more interested in when I was back in the UK, non-league football. And uh, here in Cyprus, I'm watching third division Cypriot football. And it's it's so honest. And the players are from the villages of the team they represent. And it's kind of what I aspire to see football return to it won't happen but it's nice so the moment you were promoted last season <laughs> was it not that innate feeling of joy well i knew what was coming uh <laughs> <laughs> you know yes obviously we, we love it uh, of course uh, or promotion is always I mean, we've been through a fair few but promotion's always exciting yes don't worry, I'm not on a I'm not on commission for the Premier League or like mm -hmm. it's the be all and end all and everyone must be there. I absolutely get that. I'm just like promotions are fun, aren't they? But yeah. They are. The Premier League, if you're going up knowing with limited resources you're then going to be in a relegation fight or struggling, I fully understand that yeah, it's not the be all and end all. It's never the be all and end all, no, is it? So, and the championship is just bloody brilliant, is it, it not? It's so. such a fun league. And a fun fact for you: uh, no team has ever won the championship two seasons in a row. So there you go. Uh, better <laughs> need to look that up. Uh, but what I uh, was, of course, aware of was that financially, had we not gone up last season, we'd have been absolutely what's the word to use. Um, in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got a bleeper, I'm afraid. So. I'm not going to swear, I never do. But uh, we'd have been in a lot of trouble and we had to go up. I also thought mm. if we went up, oh, well, we'll keep Sanderberger, we'll keep Billy Man and Die, and everything will be wonderful in the world. Uh, those things didn't happen and we've been forced to spend more money than I think we'd have liked. We've brought in, I think it's now eight, if I keep track, of transfers uh, when you've got 11 to pick from. That's a huge change. They've got a gel. We've seen it in the past. Nottingham Forest last season, they brought in a lot of players, uh, many more than eight, and struggled initially and then did enough somehow, despite all the stats, yeah. to stay up. Will we be the same? Time will tell. So just for those, just before we get on to your summer business, for those that don't know, is your ownership more settled now? No. Uh, no, no, the owner is actively trying to sell and has been for some time. We went through a transfer embargo last season when uh, a potential buyer 
I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I'm taking from what the owner has said to me uh, on our channel, because um, we've interviewed him a couple of times, is that maybe not all the payments that were promised were received, and as a result, we weren't able to pay something we owed. I'm not going to go into detail on that. Anyway, we went into a transfer embargo, which meant we couldn't sign players uh, the tail end of last season, sort of January onwards, which is when you normally make your signings, don't you, in January when the window opens again. <laughs> yeah. uh, we couldn't do that, and we had to make do. And, and I think in a way that worked out, in our favour because we kept what we had and we, we carried on with a settled side and I think sometimes that's better I remember Neil Warnock always trying to bring in more and more and more strikers and it just unsettled a very competent team so I was okay with that mm. So your summer business then it was always going to be a big task being back in the Premier League has it satisfied you the summer business? I'll tell you the, the bigger task would be if you ask me to name all of the transfers we've made uh ins and outs it's quite a lot and also as we are recording if i may uh howard if i can peel mm. back the curtain uh cameron archer at the moment not yet confirmed right like, i would say there's two bigger ones would you say of the eight <laughs> unless you want to throw tom davis into the mix as well uh not really uh to any mix unless it's concrete <laughs> um a joke of course he'll be wonderful uh we've well austin trusty i'm very excited about him our new trusty left back left wing back uh he's from a place called media he's all about the content comes from uh, a family of athletes his middle name is levi so i think it's in the genes i like <laughs> the look of him uh vinicius souza He's going to be exceptional. He's a defensive midfielder. Paul Heckenbottom's number one target. We finally got our man, and uh, he's looked like he's going to be that guy that will mop up everything. Not particularly exciting, unless you like crunching tackles. I mean, maybe if he does score a goal, it'll be like a Jamie Pollock own goal. I can't expect anything else at uh, the, the other end. Uh, In your else? dreams. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the best <laughs> goals of all time. I think only Chris Brass will come close. Exactly. Um, uh, who else have we brought in? Benny Traore, top scorer in the Swedish league. He's looked busy. I think that's probably the polite way I can put it. Uh, we've brought in... Who else have we brought in? There'll be people screaming. Oh, Gustavo, Gustavo Hamer. Hamer. Yeah, Hamer. Yeah. So Hamer scored a worldie against Forrest, our only goal of the season. He looks like the kind of player that will be the replacement for Sanderberger and uh, provide that creative spark. So that's you know that's quite exciting. And uh, Anis Ben Slamani, who was our first signing, who we haven't really seen yet, because as is the Sheffield United way, not just a clever name, um, he's injured. Why does Sanderberger go? I was a bit uh, surprised by that. I'm very surprised. With no uh, outside knowledge and not paying much attention, I was very surprised with that move. I think he just wanted to change the scenery, to be honest. He'd been right. at United for a while. I think he liked the projects that Vincent Company sold to him. I think he got annoyed the fact that none of us said his surname the same way each week. I think... <laughs> Berge? Is it Berge? Well, it's if you listen to his interview when we signed him, it was Berge. Right. And then if you listen to every Sheffield United fan, it's Berger. Uh, yeah. If you listen to him when he signed for Burnley, it's Berge. And yeah. if you listen to uh, fans in Norway, it's pronounced a variety of different ways, <laughs> so I ain't got a clue. But, yeah, inevitably, we're talking Sheffield United. We have to talk McAtee and Doyle, James McAtee, mm. Tommy Dort. Any ideas from your side of the press across across the Pennines, though you've, you're way beyond the Pennines, obviously, right now, <laughs> if they may return. Because yeah, I, think, uh, I don't think the players themselves have any idea from what I read from this side well, of what their Tommy, future is. Tommy Doyle's doing a kind of Peter Odem wingy with the window down outside QPR on a, on a <laughs> cold night. Uh, he's trying to get back. Clearly, he's been watching us. Uh, he's been to the training ground, apparently. He came to the Palace game. You know, Tommy wants back in. Um, but just when he thought he was out, 
they pull him back in. Uh, whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Paul Heckingbottom wants him back, uh, probably because we've now got eight midfielders. Where would he fit? Whereas James McAtee, a creative, is what we need. And I think Paul Heckingbottom, for reasons like you can only get one loan from the same club, if he had a choice between the two, would go McAtee. If you're asking me who I'd go for, it would be changing depending on the weather uh, because mm. I love both of them. They're both brilliant. I think Tommy Doyle might be more necessary for the, the steal that we need in midfield to win the ball back. McAtee might be a bit of a luxury that we could afford in the champ because we're one of the better teams in the Premier League. I don't know how much of the ball we'll see. Um, so who knows? So just they were two of your best players last season, yeah? Is that stating the obvious? Uh, yeah. I mean, no one would have said either of them was our best. Uh, Illiman right. Guy was, was hands down the best player yeah. at Sheffield United and in the championship. Arnel Ackman-Hodzic was also in that conversation. And then you'd probably look at Tommy Doyle, uh, Wes Fodringham. Uh, John Egan played pretty well, although he's not started this season well. Um, Sander on his day, which didn't always happen. And uh, yeah, McAtee. Two defeats to start the season. Disappointed, of course. But have you taken a lot from the performances? <laughs> No, not really. Uh, we were no. woeful against Palace. We looked devoid of any ideas. We would still be playing now and wouldn't score. We're playing kids when we shouldn't be playing kids. Our 11 is weaker than the team we finished the championship season with. It's a huge concern. Uh, Forest, we had a bit of fight in the second half, but the damage was done in the first three minutes. You know, In the Premier League, if you make a mistake inside five minutes, you'll get punished. And you can mm. maybe get away with it in the championship, but you can't at this level. And Max Lowe can't blame fatigue for an air kick after two minutes, which leads <laughs> yeah. to Forrest's goal. And, you know, we lose by one goal and you could look at it as go, well, you know, that was the moment, even though we eventually equalised and they scored again. But of course, that first goal doesn't happen. The whole game's different. So we've got to iron out those mistakes. So that's concerned me a lot. We've conceded every goal from crosses, something we're normally good at defending. We seem to have fallen apart with our new defensive coach, uh, Mark Hudson, I think his name is, and um, I'm, I'm I'm worried about that. So no, I've not I've not taken any positives or, or too much heart from the first two games. Sadly, do you think they're going to be active in the remaining what is it nine days of the transfer window, or the funds just not there? Uh, well, I think we'll sign Cameron Archer. As I say, that's not confirmed yet, hmm. and I think we'll bring in possibly a winger. Uh, we don't play with wingers, but hey, why not? Uh, on loan, uh, we'll probably bring in McAtee, and we'll probably get in a player from overseas on loan. Okay. My next thing in the notes then was, uh, I think you're already pointing your answer towards this, was your ambitions for the season. Now, obviously, number one is to stay up. Are are you confident? Do you have... Has it been more disappointing this start than you expected or has anything changed over the summer from what what your ambitions probably were at the time you, you ended last season? Yeah, as soon as we lost Illiman and Dai, I thought we'd probably get relegated uh, because mm. he's that he's that crucial to us. He's the best player I've ever seen play for Sheffield United, and I'm pretty old, uh, so that that's that still hurts even thinking about it now. Uh, gutting. I could have dealt with losing Sander. We'd have recovered from that. In fact, we already have. Mm. You can't replace Illiman and Dai. Uh, you can replace Sanderberger. Um, so, yeah, that's that's taking the wind out of my sails. The Everton game will be crucial. Ask me after that uh, because I tell you what, they look bad. And if we lose at home to Everton, we will be going down. However, if we can pick up our first points in that match, I'm fairly confident we could maybe kick on after a tough run that follows that. Uh, where did he go to? In oh, Marseille was it? Yes, it's the only club he would have gone to. You know, uh, yeah. it, was, it was his his team. So that's why that's why he went. So is Everton your next match? 
we've got Man City, as you know. <laughs> I mean, after that. <laughs> uh, um, I think so. It, it just feels like that's the, the most crucial one. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I've already. gone with that as the one I'm already looking at. Uh, because we've got we've got some I'm pretty sure we've got Man United coming up soon, Tottenham as well. Uh so we've got some we've got some big games, but uh we're not counting Man City as anything other than right, we just get through that and then we look at games where we can actually hope to pick up points. And uh yeah, it's it's Man City, Everton, Tottenham, Newcastle. It gets it gets really tricky, so we've really got to get something against Everton. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the match, finish with the match. Even Pep's injured now, but do you have no hope for this match then? I personally have no hope. I think uh, if City score early, it takes the wind out of the sails, not only of the players, but of the crowd. And one of the things that Bramall Lane is so good at is that ferocious atmosphere, that that cauldron. Uh, it can be a fortress, but I do think if City score early, it'll, it'll just destroy that. However, if the Blades score first, and hmm. it's been a long time since Sheffield United have scored against Manchester City in a league game, at Bramall Lane, I think it's 23 years. So it won't be it won't be easy. And even that was a Man City player, uh, Michael Brown, that we'd, we'd only just taken from from City. Uh, so we're going back a long way. And, we are going uh, back quite a long way, yeah. I mean, we beat City in the FA Cup in 2008, uh, but that was Balloon Gate where Michael Ball kicked a balloon uh, rather than the ball. Uh, and so even <laughs> then we had a bit of help. Uh, but in an actual game where it was all us yeah you're going back 23 years so i'm not i'm not excited about this particular fixture this is one that i think we just call a free hit if we score first back to the wall maybe get to half time one nil up who knows anything could happen but i really don't see that i think city will keep the ball pass it around a lot i think it'll be a technically excellent performance from city one touch passing lots of movement lots of possession we will have a lot of exercise and that's probably about it and i predict city to win four nil i mentioned a game at bramall lane on a separate pod a couple of days ago. And I have no concept of time, by the way, especially with the COVID years that came into football. Uh, we won 1-0 there. It might have been winter over Christmas time or something, like that, which I said you know, recently was one of my most satisfying wins of the season. It was real hard-fought 1-0 win. Uh, I don't, two or three years ago, I don't know. I, yeah, do I, you mean, not I remember have to... uh, Kyle Walker scoring, if that's the one you're on about. I can't. I, honestly, I know it was one nil, and it was a battle, a battle from beginning to end. And I just came away going, "I know, I hate this cliche. I absolutely hate it. That's the stuff of champions." We came out and we got the three points. So you get out well, of there. I cause... remember uh, Gabriel Jesus scoring uh, in a one nil at Sete, and I remember Carl Walker scoring in a one nil at Bramall Lane. Yeah, uh, so they were both one nils in the same season, but yeah. yeah, and, and Did, that was because Kyle, a former Blade, so I mean, he's yeah. a Blades fan, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he's one goal for the season, but. Do you have? Do you not have the confidence that Sheffield United can do what they did on those occasions and be a real thorn in the side, sit well, deep, even, perhaps frustrate, flood the box, and just make it very difficult? Well, even that game you mentioned, the one nil, Carl Walker, right? I've got the stats in front of me actually because I was looking at this one earlier. We had one shot. You had sixteen. Uh, you had sixty-five yeah. percent possession. So it's exactly what I said. Uh, I don't remember us dominating that game I, well yeah i mean the stats possession yeah like, but that's that doesn't get your goals does it so no but it'll be yeah the, the shots you had was as i say 16 i mean just crazy we had one shot on target it'll be exactly the same as that if if it's one nil it's the same as if it's 
4-0, we won't get any points. Of course, goal yeah. could come down to it at the end of the season, but we're not thinking about that yet. No, I really do think it'll be a, a huge struggle. We've signed, as I say, eight new players uh, in an 11. That'll take a long time to gel. We haven't got that time, that luxury. We've left all our business far too late because our hands were tied with losing two players we didn't expect to lose. Mm. So we are not prepared. We are not the same side that we played you in the FA Cup semi-final last season. And that one, we were we weren't confident, but we were a good side then. Well, we're not a, we're not a good side now, and you know you put us to the sword that day. So I've, I've no for that reason, I'm really no. not full of confidence. Though you should have taken the lead. So Billy Man missing knows? a chance. I said on the, I was on uh, Football Focus before the game, and I said I'll take a shot on target, and then happy to leave. Well, we had that after the first <laughs> minute, and I said to my mate Jamie, "Right, we can go now." And we didn't have another one in the whole game, and that was it. That the home form and atmosphere, obviously, being at home is going to help. Does a two o'clock kickoff on a Sunday really help you? No, no. And I think Blades fans are probably the same as you. We like yeah. Saturday, three o'clock, you know, proper kickoff. Everyone knows where they stand. Uh, we're already hating this Premier League uh, because all the fixtures are being moved. You know, we've had one game, the first one, that's a Saturday at three o'clock. All the next six have been moved. And I tell you what, when you live a two-hour wow. time difference away, a yeah. game that's on at eight o'clock at night, it's suddenly on at 10 p.m. And I start work at 5 a.m. So that's no joke. And they'll all be on the Sunday eventually, I think, because yeah. they're soon going to televise Sunday games, aren't they, all of them? Mm. So we've already had a, a Friday night game and an 8 o'clock on a Saturday game. Yes, no, Both no of those good. are ridiculous. From next season, there'll be a 7 p.m. on a Sunday night as well. And it's not just about me. It's like Newcastle fans, the game finished on Saturday, Saturday against Newcastle, what, ten? about 10 o'clock p.m.? Yeah. yeah, it's no good. It's no good. It is no good. Uh Clubs but don't the, help the fans at all. The clubs don't well, care. My club doesn't care. It? I think it's television yeah. that are dictating this and money comes into it. And no, they don't care about the fans. In fact, the fans are the last thought. They won't look at the train times. and They'll just go, oh, well, this will get, this will get a good viewing figures. <laughs> I know you've been away, but there aren't any trains anymore anyway. So. Well, there literally <laughs> are no trains in Cyprus. Literally no trains in England either. So <laughs> Certainly not on the Saturday night anyway. So just uh, before we wrap up... Do you, do you think uh, Hecky Boyton will have you just set very, very deep and looking to counter during this game? I think it'll be a 5 4 1 that we'll start with. Yeah. So, so yes is sort of a, a quick way of answering that. Um, you know what I would do? And Hecky won't do this. So, yes, a very quick answer, he'll do that. But what I would say is, right, we, we will sit back and hit you on the break and we'll lose. Why not have a go? Because we'll lose anyway, but by God, it'll be more exciting. Hmm. Do you have the danger on the counter-attack? Do you have the pace? Yeah, we have got the pace. Benny Traore can catch pigeons. I like what we see there. Um, Will Asula's no slouch. He can't finish. He's never scored, but he, he, he's he got pace. Um, yeah, we've got players that can run from deep as well. Hamer, as you saw against Forrest, he can be a bit of a nuisance. We've got pace out wide. Uh, and we've got the Duracell bunny that is Ben Osborne, who will yeah. give you 110% which I hate as a saying, I've just done it, uh, every <laughs> single game. But no, we've got no chance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, I still think it'll be a tough game, but hey, that's that's just my uh, mentality all, all the get, time. Get perhaps. me back on after our takeover, because you know what? If the owner is so keen to sell, one day he will. And who yeah. knows? We may get bought by someone who's got Sheikh Mansour-type money, and everything will change. Now, part of me hates that, because oh, yeah. I don't, I don't like that being the reason we'd be better. I'd mm. love it, you know, local businessman done good from Sheffield takes over. I'd love that, but the Jack Walker days are gone. So that's all you hope for, and maybe that'll happen. And if it does, 
with our recruitment team, I think we'd actually be a heck of a force. And we've got the, the fans as well. Yeah, well, our, our local uh, businessmen haven't got a good record at our place. So, <laughs> no, uh, well, when you when you're loaded with oil money, I'll definitely get you on and compare your your mood <laughs> as you be predict wildly a, different as you predict a three 0 win. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I always end this way. Score prediction for the game, please. So. Yeah, uh, Sheffield United nil, Manchester City four. We never get thrashed. But I think this will be our first thrashing in a good long while. Okay, well. This is going to help you in a way, but I'm going to go nil two. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got those the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Hal, thank you very much. I can see you're frustrated with your side and the Premier League at the moment. I really appreciate you coming on and speaking to us. It's been a pleasure. If I could uh, change my life, come back and do it all again, I would support Manchester City from the year 2006 onwards. <laughs> uh, and I think you're edging into the end of Stuart Pearce years there. You don't, move it move it forward a year <laughs> to Thaksin Shinawatra, who's just been arrested. So again, right. just, it just shows you the history of Manchester <laughs> City in the last 15 years. Never a dull moment. So. Yeah, true. I couldn't not, quite not all of it good. good. Yeah, not all of it good. But you have to do the 30 years penance beforehand as well. So Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> You've done that? Yeah, you paid your dues. It's time to have success. I'm ready. Don't be porridge. <laughs> Help me out. Well, as always, after the weekend, all the best uh, with the rest of the season. And I hope, you too. hope it picks up nicely. Cheers. All right. Thank you very much. And as always, we'll go back to the panel now to review the weekend game. Right. That was Howard chatting to a very not confident Hal about how their season is, uh, is going to go. Um, for us, Lloyd, no pep on the bench. Worried? I would be if it wasn't Sheffield United, just because it's a bit a bit of unknown. Mm. Um, but I think this is about as good of a game as you're going to get for something like this to happen. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Lilo effect, positive, negative. I, I read that you can't speak English, so there'll be a translator at the at the press conference today. That should be interesting. Yeah. No, I think. I think it'll be interesting. Look, I, I know, again, apparently from speaking to those close to City, like Lilo is very tight with a lot of the players, um, even though his English isn't good. Because um, he's meant to be a very kind of charismatic, um, engaging, like, communicator, basically. Um, I mean, the idea of him and Cole Palmer being good mates is just funny because... They just seem so different. I can't imagine Cole just just like getting some Spanish out of that mouth, that proper mag mouth, and, and Lilo like responding <laughs> to that. But anyway, apparently they are. So, um, I, I mean, look, I don't think we're going to really do anything different because, you know, he's a little bit of an extension of Pep, even though he does bring slightly different ideas and concepts to Guardiola's coaching. But I think maybe we see one player in the team that's that that might be kind of interesting um but no nah, i think i think knowing what pep's like he'll be he'll be on the blower whether that's in the hospital or he's resting up at home um he's not the kind of guy that can stay away is he um i think i think surely he's not going to let lilo pit the team i mean i, I find that almost impossible to believe i mean it depends I, we don't know what's going on with his back like if he's 
if he's had back surgery and say he had it, I don't know, today and the game's on Sunday, I think that's, that's feasible, but we just don't know, do we? I read that he'd, he'd had surgery uh, earlier in the week and that he was already back at home resting. So I uh, I assume, and also I think it was in The Athletic actually, or maybe 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 in The Times or something like that, but I read that um, he will be in direct contact with the bench during the game. So for me, he's... Ah, okay, he's, fine. He's he's definitely picking picking the team. Um, some squad stuff for you, George. So Bernardo is back. Would he go straight back into the team for you? I would. I would. I would rest him if he's if he's not feeling a hundred percent. I'd start him on the bench, and then I think he he'll definitely feature at some point. Mm. I I would maybe if I would maybe think we might see the same team as. Is Newcastle a similar setup um, with the Foden and Alvarez, um, Kovacic and Rodri? I think I don't want to at this point of the season. I don't want to, you know, force anybody into something when they're not ready. And um, I think it'll be a, a very similar team. And just just picking up on on the manager stuff, I think it's quite nice for the uh, the twenty year anniversary of, of being at the Etihad. They've, They've given us the Spanish Keegan uh, as a manager for a couple of games, so that's going to be that's going to be quite fun as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Lloyd, what do you expect from from the Blades? I mean, obviously, Hal is very not confident about the game or their season. Should we be? I mean, our record against against the bottom half of the Premier League last season is 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 pretty ridiculous, right? So, in theory, th- these are th- these are the kinds of games that we we can navigate. But every season is different, and every season brings its own challenges. So, is there anything about this game that could make it more challenging? No, I think this is a tap in. I think they're going down hard interesting um, they're a worse team than they were last season which is crazy because you know their, their best player last season was Indai who is and had a you know he's Senegalese one of the top scorers in the league was probably their best player they sold him for 17 mil to Marseille they sold Sanderberg to Burnley that's mad. That sale makes no sense to me. Makes absolutely no sense. They've lost Doyle and McAtee, who were both came in the top five of their um, performers when the fans voted at the end of the season. And then the other guy was the centre-half. He's got a really long Eastern European name that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try. Um, now, they signed Harmer from... Football manager legend, that guy is. Yeah, who's who is who's is really good and was yeah. great at Coventry last year. So that's a good signing. But honestly, the other guys, I mean, they signed Tom Davies on a free transfer. I mean, Christ. Um and then, you know, they've lost McAteer and and Doyle, those two haven't come back to date. And then honestly, the other guys they've signed, I don't know, I've never heard of any of them. So no, I think they're I think they're in big trouble. They've also got Paul Hackingbottom as a manager who, you know, I don't really think he inspires, particularly at Premier League level. So I'm struggling to see this not being, you know, north of 3-0, say. Haaland to get his, uh, get out of his slump, his one-game slump of not having not scored. Um, 
Do you think they'll stay up? No, I think they. I think they could even be bottom. Okay. Uh, George, pick me a team. A city team for tomorrow. Oof. Um, Sunday. With, oh yes, Sunday. That's the one. Getting ahead of myself there. Um, Edison in net. Yeah. Um, then I'm gonna go Walker, Akanji, Ake, Guavadol. No Diaz. Covers- What are you on, lad? What? No big Ruben. I'll let you start again. I'll let you start again. Yes, I appreciate that. I appreciate that one. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Walker, Akanji, Diaz, Guavidal, Kovacic, Rodri, Grealish, Foden, Alvarez, Harland. Okay. So basically the same team as uh, as Newcastle. Lloyd? Yes. What about you? Yeah, I think that's probably going to be the team. I think the two question marks that might be different would be, I think he maybe plays Rico Lewis here um, instead of one of the defenders, probably a Kanji. Um, and I think the other one is, I genuinely think Palmer might play. And that's not just because of Lilo. I think this is a game, if you're going to keep Palmer, this is a good game to play him in, particularly given the fact how stretched the squad is. Um, I would have thought Bernardo's on the bench for the first game back. So that's why I'm going with that. So, you know, if Palmer plays, it'll be for one of Alvarez or Foden, hopefully Alvarez. But I think the most likely outcome is it's the same team. So I am going to slightly disagree um, and I'm going to predict something that I actually don't like predicting, but I've got a funny feeling that this is the way that it's going to land. I suspect that the only change will be Foden out and Bernardo in. I think that it'll end up being Alvarez and Haaland. Bernardo will come back in for Phil. Grealish will play on the left, Kovacic, Rodri, uh, and then, yeah, the back four and the goalkeeper as uh, as as last week. Um, Oof, I mean, a, in the streets of Edgeley, there's going to be there's going to be riots. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I'm I'm managing my own expectations because I've seen the manner in which Phil has been managed in the last few years, and so you know, I, I feel as though it's been a pretty common theme that he comes into the team, does really well, and then gets benched by Bernardo or something like that in the next game. Um, Bernardo hasn't been available. Did he play the first game against Burnley? He did, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah. So I, I just I expect I expect him to come back in. It's just a question of whether Alvarez steps out for him or whether Phil steps out for him. And you know, but I'm, I'm managing my own expectations and maybe you know using a bit of reverse psychology by saying that Phil will get taken out and uh, and Alvarez will will stay in. There's right. definitely there's definitely a bit of reverse psychology from you there. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean. Definitely. You can't look. I'm going to say it. You can't take Foden out of the team after the last game's performance. I mean, that was a a genuine statement. Ten out of ten, best player on the park by a mile performance. You you can't clip his wings after that. So, if you want to bring Bernardo back in, then you drop Grealish and play Foden on the left, or you drop 
Alvarez and you play Bernardo there. So, uh, uh, yeah, you can't drop Foden after last week. Okay. Right, Lloyd, give me a score prediction. Yeah, I think it's North for 3 0. Um, I think it's I think there's probably a good chance it's like 4 0. I, I don't think we'll concede. Yeah, three or four. I'll, I'll, I'll go for four. <laughs> I like it. George? Uh, I'm going to go 3 0. Parland brace and a Foden goal as well. Oh, I like it. I like it. So we've got a three and we've got a four. Do I go five or do I go two? I'm not going to take the piss. I'm going to go two nil. Um, a brace for Erling and, and, and that will be that. Right, gentlemen. Friday show is done. The weekend is upon us. Lloyd, thank you very much. Thank you. George, cheers. Cheers, guys. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. If you're not a member of the 9320 player, head over to our website, check out all the stuff we do there. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the treble winning blues.